0: Anita, remember that one time, actually that two times that we tried to go to the bank and we still have not succeeded in opening a bank account? Yes. I feel like we have one more try. And then what? Then we failed. And then we're just going to have to stuff stuff in our mattresses, pillows.
1: Mayo jars.
0: Yep. Ceilings.
1: Why won't they let us open a bank account? We are trying to give them money. We're not asking them to give us money. We're trying to put money in there. And our sequined outfits didn't even dazzle them into giving us bank accounts. Well, do
0: you think that could also be the problem? Wait, I have an idea. Maybe we go to Target or H&M. Because right Mm -hmm. now they have these really strange, like, pioneer-style black dresses that look (laughs) kind of like they're from a a horror movie.
1: Oh, okay. We can be
0: widow-appropriate in their eyes. Oh, mm mm-hmm. We could wear our hats even. Yeah, wear our funeral hats with the mesh.
1: Yeah. And
0: then maybe they would give us a bank account.
1: I mean, it's worth a try. It's so hard. The first time we went... We hadn't registered in the proper place. The second time we went, our names did not both appear in the proper place. So now, 17 dollars later, we might be able to do it, and actually not 17, because it was 17 plus 22 plus 70.:
0: Yeah. When you're dealing with the state and with the IRS and with the bank, they don't always all talk to each other, which I knew from my dad being a CPA. However, this is a little nuts. Yeah. Whatever.
1: We'll try again.
0: I know that everybody that follows you, Anita, is really looking forward to hearing how everything turned out from your dramatic last
1: week. On our last podcast, I was the queen of... What's that word? Denial. No, 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 no. no. Cryptic. Oh, yes. On our last episode, I was the queen of cryptic and that was super annoying. But now I can talk about it because number 1, I don't feel as traumatized by what happened and number 2 because it's all done now. So let's let's talk about it. Shall we mel
0: tell everybody what happened?
1: Okay. So, the short version is, the too long didn't read version is is that my son's therapist called child protective services on me. And that sent me over the cliffs of insanity. Um, The reason why he called CPS on me was that we had gotten into a big fight last week. And without going into all of the details, because I think he would be embarrassed if people knew what his behavior was, he was going bananas and I went bananas back at him. (laughs) Is that a good explanation, Mel? Yeah. Does that explain it? Yeah. Anyway, I told the therapist about the fight. And then when my son went in, he told him details or the details as he saw them. And I mean, the therapist has to report things that kids say, even if they don't believe them, or even if they think that they're exaggerated, or even if they think they're making them up. They're required to by law. So anyway, he called me afterwards and said basically that he was required by law to report me to CPS and it was easily the second most traumatic thing that has happened in my entire life because the very thing that I thought I was doing to protect my kids by taking them to therapy is what took us to this point of danger because let's face it, being a parent is hard and everybody loses it at their kids at some point in time. And it, it just happens. It's part of normal family life. Do I want that to happen? No, for sure not. Um, am, I, am I an abusive parent? No, I'm not. I'm just a regular mom. Anyway, had I not been taking them to therapy, this would never have happened because it just would have been a normal part of life and it wouldn't have been reported to anybody. And so then I felt like I had been betrayed and that I couldn't trust my own judgment And the very things that I was doing to try and help my kids were dangerous. So there you go. And I had to wait for the whole weekend to figure out what it was going to mean. And I didn't think that they were going to take my kids away from me. I mean, I didn't think that was what was going to happen. But there is that like small fear that you've lost control. And so... The people from the the Division of Family and Child Services came on Tuesday, and they talked to me for about seven minutes, and they were like, okay, thanks, bye. And since that time, I've had so many people talk to me about it, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've, we've had the visit from CPS, and it's really no big deal. But it felt like a huge, huge, huge deal to me.
0: And to be fair, there are quite a few circumstances with cps where things can get out of control with normal situations so you're not wrong to have fears there are horror yeah. stories
1: i mean you hear the horror stories and even if it's just like even if you know that they're a small minority it's like i already it's also a small minority of people who are young widows who've been through that kind of a trauma so it's like well i already have defied the odds once And it was terrible for my kids. My kids are traumatized by it because I had to call my friends and they just had to take my kids away. And then my kids were like, what's wrong with mom? So I had to explain what was happening. And then they were scared that they had to go live with a new mom. It just became, it was the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. You're supposed to be protecting the kids from abusive parents. And what happened is it just traumatized the already traumatized mom and traumatized the traumatized kids. So... That's my story. So those things happened. The case is closed, correct? Yeah. They came and it's just like they know that family life happens and that, you know, it's not always cute and pretty. And especially when your kid is out of control and attacking you, you kind of have to stop them from doing that, you know. So they were just very... Oh, okay. Yep. That sounds fine. Bye. Well, I am glad and I am sure everybody listening is glad that's wrapped up and yeah. you're out of the woods. Yeah. Now the question is, though, is how do I get that trust back? With the therapist? Yeah, or with therapy in general. It's like, why Why do I want to open myself up to that again? Why would I ever be honest with you about the things that i'm going through if you're required to report them if you even if you don't think they're abusive but they could be abusive
0: does that make sense yes it's hard because say most situations are not actually dangerous but they lose their licensure right on the ones that do you know fall through the cracks if they're found
1: out so it's tricky
0: i don't know the answer
1: I don't, I mean, I think that the real anger lies with people who are actually abusing their children. And because they've created a system that we have to do that with. But the outcome is not helpful at this point in time. Yes.
0: So even though all's well that ends well, it's not well. It's still a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Because of the aftershocks and now what you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I had to talk to the therapist and because he was like, are you coming back to your session for one of my sons? And I was like, the thought of driving them back to your office right now makes me want to throw up. So I need a break. And then my kids are like, hey, when are we going back to therapy? And I'm like, we're taking a little break. They're like, why? (laughs) Like, I don't want to explain it to you. But I'm traumatized. My mom said it this way. I am a well that is dry. And you it's like, you can try and get more out of me, but there's no more. You can't get anything more out of me. And it just feels like people keep wanting more of me. You know, they want me to change how I interact with my kids. They want me to make more time for one-on-one time. They want me to do all of these things. And it's like, you can't, you know, what's the saying? You can't get blood from a stone.
0: But then then the other thing you're supposed to do is self-care. Right. With all of that. So good luck.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. Being a widow sucks sometimes. So, Mel, you're having some fun times also.
0: Tis true, although not with children because I have none.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Oh, yeah. You should know that maybe if we're going to be widow wives together. (laughs) 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 So the same day that your case got closed, Anita, my sister, who our listeners know she struggles with mental health issues because she's given me permission to share her story from time to time, on... The episodes in case it helps somebody else. She is back in the hospital because of said issues. And guys, suicide is real and it's hard. And even though we know some tools on how to help, it's still hard. And you can't prevent somebody from doing certain things. So I'm gonna go visit her later today at the hospital, but she seems to be getting the care that she needs right now, the immediate care. And We're going to just take it an hour at a time, kind of like widowhood. So
1: that's my life. Your poor parents. (laughs) Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial and SEC-registered investment advisor. (laughs) I love how you laughed so maniacally.
0: (laughs) It's like, you know, the dark humor thing that we talk about all the time. I mean, I don't even know what else to do except for laugh because Uh the circumstances can get so dire and they are dire and and to be completely transparent in our family they have been fluctuating like this for a very long time decades so it wears on you right and you're always you're worried about your family member you're worried about what they're gonna do are they gonna choose to stay alive are certain things gonna get a hold of them and one day they make a rash decision or maybe they've thought out a decision. You just have no idea. So for us, it's been an ongoing thing. And yeah, so sometimes I look at my dad. And he just throws his hands up and is like, mm, okay. It's like you can laugh or you can cry or you can
1: throw your hands in the air. Can you do both at once?
0: I'm pretty sure it's possible.
1: I think so too. It's not like sneezing with your eyes open. No, you're not supposed your to be able to do that. Eyes
0: pop out. No. <laughs> so, who? Mental health.
1: What a fun! What a Yay! fun ball of <laughs> yarn we are this week.
0: So I do have something. Uh, I just was gonna call this light, and it's not light. But it's not talking about a family member in the hospital for suicide things. This is a show on Netflix. And I know some people in our Widow Wives Club have seen it because we've from time to time had a little discussion like here and there. But it's called Surviving Death. Have you heard of this, Anita? No, I have not. It's interesting. I don't know what it was like for you, Anita. I know that I've been communicating with some of our widow friends lately that are very fresh in grief. And I remember being at the same time out from the death and just feeling this intense need almost as desperate as to breathe for me to know what the heck was going on on the other side with the spirits. Where was Scott? What is he doing? I felt entitled to know. So it it goes into different aspects of death and the afterlife and different people's interpretations of them. Is it like
1: near-death experiences?
0: The first episode is a near-death experience, but they go through everything from psychics and mediums, to, Ooh. to near-death experiences, to other rituals. So it's just interesting. If you're interested in a broad overview of certain things like that, see what you think.
1: Have you heard of, this is kind of related, but kind of not, have you heard of death doulas? What? No. What is I'm that? I'm so intrigued. Do you know what a doula is? Yeah. Okay. So that's like somebody who helps a woman give birth but doesn't actually do the birthing thing it's just like a supportive role and so a death doula is somebody who supports you as you're dying
0: (gasps) an escort
1: kind of
0: a death escort
1: yeah i just heard about this and i think it's so fascinating you know there's like hospice workers but they're there to kind of really deal with the like the medical side of it, and this person is there more for the, maybe not spiritual, but kind of the spiritual or the, you know, the emotional part of it. Interesting.
0: Anyway. How did you hear about yeah. this?
1: Oh, where I hear about everything? Instagram? Oh, duh. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Oh,
0: what's that? Is it new?
1: <laughs> it's new. So they should get her, they should get one of those death doulas on the show and talk to them. Yeah. Super intriguing.
0: I like these shows that address things like this, because- Everybody has a different background. Everybody has different religious beliefs or no religious beliefs or a mixture of spiritual beliefs and some ritualistic spiritual beliefs or something else. And so it's it's kind of fun to just look at all the different perspectives and different
1: things that people do. Right, and believe and think that happens to their loved one as they're dying and after they're dying. Yeah. Hmm. Well,
0: it was interesting because – when I was going through that time period, and I would say it was the first month, I was just ravenous for material that talked about it. Interesting. And and actually, I was really mad at Scott from time to time because of some of the things that I had read from people's near-death experiences before I had even met Scott and before he had died. Because, you know, they, the experiences are always saying, I was in Most brightest, warm, and loving light, and I didn't want to come back. And so that stuck in my head. And so I was so mad at Scott. Like, you left. You could have come back, and you didn't. (laughs) I mean, okay, if Scott had come back from not breathing for a half hour, I would be caretaking for him, basically. So anyway, it's like not here nor there at this
1: point. But back then, it it was a big deal. I'm always looking for new shows to watch on Netflix because that is how I... Buffer when I don't want to feel things is I watch Netflix.
0: Guess what? We have something exciting that's coming up, you guys. We're starting something new.
1: Yeah, we're going to try out something that we hope will be helpful to our crew.
0: We noticed that everybody really loves connecting in our Zoom meetings, and we've had a lot of people reach out and request more. So, Anita, would you tell us a little bit about what our new
1: experiment is? Yeah, this actually fell into place really magically. We had planned to kind of, you know, we've done a few Zoom meetings and we wanted to keep that up, but also didn't want to stretch ourselves too thin. And we had one of our Widow Wives Club member reach out and say, hey, I would be willing to facilitate more Zoom meetings. And so we snatched that opportunity up. If you were on our last Zoom meeting, you met her. Her name's Autumn. And... Autumn is going to facilitate a Zoom Widow Wives Club member meeting on March
0: 13th. And here's the cool thing. We know that we have listeners from all over the world and poor England. Hi, David Kelly. Gets screwed every time with the time that we choose when we usually have one meeting. So we are going to be having two time options. Attendance will be limited just so that it's more effective in the group. So so we're gonna see how many people end up joining and then go from there. But stay tuned in the Widow Wives Club for how to
1: reserve your spot. Yeah, we'll we'll want an R S V P this time and We're just kind of feeling out how this is going to work, so be patient with us. So just FYI, even though this isn't a clinical, you know, group therapy, Autumn is actually a therapist, and so she has experience in facilitating groups like this, and even if this one's more for fun and to make connections, I think she's going to be really great at it. So we're excited about that, and uh, we hope that you guys will get some good participation. I know that it's been really helpful to me to connect with other people in similar situations, and I can't believe how many people we talk to who say that our group is the first group that they've been able to find other people in this widow and widower journey. It makes my heart sad. So I'm happy that you found us and we want to support you even better if we can.
0: So stay tuned for details on how to sign up. We had Autumn record a quick little message. So here she is. Hello, my name is
2: Autumn. I'm a widow and I am part of the Widow We Do Now group. We have an exciting announcement. We are going to start trying to have a monthly get together on Zoom. This will be an opportunity for us to discuss specific topics that might be helpful or relevant, or have social activities, or basically just a safe space for us to get together and talk about our crazy lives and um, seek support and help from each other. Our first meeting is going to be on March 13th, and we will have sign-up times for that. Um, Just a little background on myself, I have a background in psychology, I treat anxiety disorders, and I work with grief and trauma. I will be the moderator of the group, and I am excited to meet you guys, and hopefully I will see you there.
0: Thanks, Autumn, we are so excited.
1: Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club, we're getting a lot more requests. And if you don't answer all of the questions, we hate declining people because we realize that most of the people there really need to be in the club, but we don't have time to go search for your information. It just becomes overwhelming. So please answer all of the questions. And if you're having trouble submitting some of the information that we've requested, please email us and we'll give you some alternatives that you can send to us to prove that you can be in the club. Thanks guys! And also check out our Patreon and right now we're gonna go to our patron shout out. We have our dead husbands, Constance Dahlbach the artist formerly known as Cat, Ivan Meisner Go Widows! You can do it! From our secret sponsor Don Satterwhite Katie Koontz and David Kelly! Thank you! And now we'll do our Widow Wives and Widow Besties First we have Jenny. Emily Toledo. Katie Radcliffe. Dennis Brazo. Kirsten Stromberg. Danielle Catterberg. Amy Sapp.
0: Valerie Jonathan Packer.
1: Tammy Schwartz.
0: Marie Hoffman.
1: Lori Farrington. Emily Thornton. The Fancy Lady Joy Kirsch. Jamie Aliota. Christina Scambato. Shannon Helm. My Favorite Gravy Maker. Marjorie Lewis.
0: Black Wendy. Ashley Han. Ashley Hahn. Kara Jenny Taylor, my mother, also my mother, Karen Cornejo, Rachel Barbosa,
1: Ileana Bell, Anna Tracy, Gabe Lozano, Aaron Posick and Opal the baby Joey, who now knows what adverbs and adjectives are, Jenny Barrow,
0: Christine Anderson,
1: Diana Becker,
0: and Sarah
1: Morris. Thank you all for your support. One day we're going to have a bank account that we can put that money in. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> maybe. Or in our mattress. If you want us to shout out your name on our podcast and maybe make up a fun nickname for you, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash wwdn. And if you don't want us to give you a shout out and you just want to give us money, then go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And you can give us a taco. And one thing about Patreon, there are four tiers
0: and there are different benefits for different levels, including a t-shirt. So go check them out.
1: And thank you to those who have already checked it out. I'm not Anita. I'm not Mel. And we're trying to figure out which one of us is who and Widow Widow, we we do do now. now. Mel. What? What? This is all I know about this person. Okay, are you ready? I was perusing the Instagram, and I saw uh, an account. I think it was suggested to me. You know how Instagram is like spooky. And you knows. mean algorithms and uh-huh. and science uh-huh. and math and and yeah, evil AI. Yeah. Yep. And also, side note, it really wants me to buy a jump rope right now. <laughs> the internet. <laughs> It keeps giving me these ads for like really fancy jump ropes. No idea why. Hmm. Anyway, this person's username, username, handle, whatever it's called. So her handle is unofficially widowed. And that piqued my curiosity. And I had a little question mark come out of the top of my head. And so I sent her a message and I said, just curious, what's unofficial about you? And she responded. And then I said, hey, I don't know you. You don't want know me. Do you want to be on a podcast?
0: And of <laughs> and course she said that's yes. That's where we are. Yeah. And we can already tell she is super rad. And I am so excited to talk to her and to find out more.
1: Yes. So this is this is Kirsten Robinson. Is it Robinson? Or...
2: Yeah. You're getting the okay. name right all day long, guys. I'm really excited. <laughs> we can
1: <laughs> accomplish nothing else. We feel good about that. So thank you for agreeing to be on our podcast, with zero background knowledge. With
2: strangers from the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. No, thank you guys for inviting me. I mean, I might be weird too for like writing back right away and being like, yes, let's talk strangers. Like, but it's good.
1: Yes. I did offer her um, a stick of beef jerky and that's why she got into my van.
0: Oh, you lured her. I, I see. lured
1: her.
2: So, yeah. Kirsten... Where do you live? Where are you from? So I'm from California, a small town called Avenal. So it's like Central Valley. Um, the biggest city you probably know nearby would be Fresno. So I'm about like an hour from Fresno. So I'm just kind of in the middle of nowhere and everywhere at the same time, and and I love it. You know, so it works. It works well. So. so you're
1: in. That's where you live now. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yes. Yeah. So that's where I was raised. I'm still here, um, and. I guess I'm here for the foreseeable future. So, yeah.
1: Okay. What, what do you do like in your real life when you're not on podcasts?
2: Yeah. So my day job guys is I'm a social worker in foster care and adoption. So it's fun because there's a lot of like grief and loss components to that as well. That's kind of cool to live out on a day to day and really connect, you know, with people on. Um, But it's really exciting to be here. Just kind of that's where unofficially widowed also led me so that in my free time, I could talk about my own experiences with grief and that journey and parenthood and single life and dating and all of those things that, that come with that. So I feel like it's been a really beautifully encompassed life, I guess, at this point. So yeah, I love it. How long have you been widowed
1: unofficially?
2: So it's, yeah, unofficially for seven years, seven years. Yeah. And so- I just felt like seven years was such a milestone. And so I finally just sort of branched out and made the Instagram, if nothing else, to just sort of share my story, because I don't know if you guys have had the same experience. Um, As grief goes on, people in your immediate circle probably just don't get it. And they don't get a lot of the things that you're really going through. And so... When I went on to Instagram, I feel like sometimes we think I'm the only person who thinks like this or is going through this or experiencing this and to find other people who are putting language to all of your thoughts and feelings was so special and so encouraging. So it's been really nice to have a presence there and to come across people like you guys, right, who are having a podcast about this. Whereas when I experienced loss seven years ago, um, I'm sure podcasts were a thing, but they weren't obviously as big as they are now, right, you know? Um, so it's just been really cool as a griever to see how those platforms have sort of changed from being like, I'm sitting in a circle at like a grief group sharing my feelings with a couple people to, to this. And so it's just really nice. It's really nice.
0: I love the camaraderie of the widow community because, I mean, like we talked about earlier, random strangers on the internet, instant messaging each other and agreeing to do a podcast. And do you feel kind of a sisterhood and like like your family with all these people that you have not ever met but have shared experiences with
2: Absolutely a hundred percent and I think what I also found on Instagram was this margin that I felt like I was looking for of like unofficial widows right And so you know I didn't have 20 years under my belt and and this life sort of built out. For me, I think I was missing a lot of like hopes and dreams and what the future could have been and the should have, would have, could have, you know. And so to go on Instagram and find other people who lost their partner after only a couple of years and now they're parenting on their own or, you know, they didn't make it to the altar or whatever that is, it was really nice to find that group of people, I would say specifically too, because that's something I felt like I was really lacking. I'm really glad that you started your
0: account and that. It's out there because we, we have a private Facebook group for our listeners who are widowed and want to be part of it. And there are a lot of people in there that reach out and they say, I feel like I'm an imposter because I wasn't married or I don't have kids or I do have kids and I wasn't married. And some of those scenarios that you just mentioned, I even feel like an imposter sometimes because I was only married almost two years and don't have kids. And so... I I know that sometimes it's hard for those that feel like they don't fit in the already strange category of not fitting into normal things um it's hard to reach out and to ask for help or find other people that are similar so thanks for doing that first of all and hopefully a lot of our listeners that are feeling that way follow you and can get another friend a random stranger on the internet
1: yeah and that's why I that's why when I saw your Um, handle i was like oh i need to reach out to her because mel and i were talking about that we get lots of messages from people who are like i don't fit in you know just because your name your name drew me to me because that had been a conversation that mel and i were having like how do we include more people how do we let them know that they do belong and that just because their story is not quite the same as everybody else's that it doesn't mean that their grief is not valid and they don't belong in this community so can we find out your story now
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, if I ramble on, tell me to shut up, I'm okay with that. Like, I won't be offended. And so we can just kind of go sort of on a timeline, if you'd like, from sort of beginning to now, and maybe what that's looked like. Um, So I was in a relationship with my son's father for three years. Um, We met through a friend of mine. And I just feel like I'm kind of an old soul as it is, you know. And so when my friend introduced me to my future partner i was like ew no way but then eventually he grew on me and you know i remember one time specifically seeing him in a towel like shirtless out of the shower and i was like he is a mexican version of uncle jesse from full house and i am here for this <laughs> i am here
1: for this you know and i so... thought you were gonna go a different direction like I did it too. wasn't it wasn't beautiful so I i'm happy that he was it's, uncle it's jesse PG,
2: guys it's okay. pg guys no yeah and so but no so just so lovely and um so we we had our story. I had a son and, oh gosh, how old are you child? So 2012, yes, 2012. And so uh, fast forward a year later, we were getting ready to have premarital counseling sessions with our pastor, all the things. And that week was the week that he passed away. So we didn't even get to have those sessions. And so I had got a call. He had had a stroke at work. Um, he was working on like solar panels at the time and things like that and it had, had a stroke in a ditch taken to a hospital you just game over like game over so it was very sudden so the stroke happened the day before halloween and he passed away on halloween and this happened to be just two weeks after our son's first birthday so i'm 24 years old i have a one-year-old and i'm losing my shit yeah
1: okay two <laughs> questions Number one, if yeah. your significant other dies on Halloween, do they haunt you more than normal?
2: <gasps> Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. It's like freaky and wonderful. We're always jealous of
1: people who get haunted. <laughs> yeah. And we especially want to get haunted with winning lottery numbers. So what was your what was your person's name?
2: <laughs> Jerry.
1: Jerry. So if Jerry could hook us up with some of those numbers, put in that request, por favor.
2: I will pass it on next time oh, I see him, okay, swear cool. guys. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> so my second question is, um, did you did they know immediately it was a stroke?
2: Um, yeah. So as soon as he was taken to the hospital, they knew. And so he had always had high blood pressure from a oh. young age. But obviously when you're 24 and get told you have high blood pressure, you just think you're invincible. What's that? This isn't even a thing. But at 44, it's very different. And so... When they took him to the first local hospital, because mind you, I live in a rural area, Um, they had said, oh, you know, like with his age and health, um, he- he's going to be fine. He's going to have to learn how to walk again, talk again, but he's going to pull through kind of thing, right? And so I-, I don't know if the doctor necessarily thought that or was trying to just kind of throw me a bone and give me some hope. So I didn't just like melt then and there. Who knows, right? You know? So then he was um, airlifted to another hospital and that was like a three hour drive for me. So I have a three hour drive to just contemplate like, is my person about to die? You know, and so that was super scary, you know, thinking back on it. Um, But by the time I got there, three doctors had already seen him and it was just an absolute like no go, like there's nothing to do. And so he was taken off um, life support and all the things on Halloween. So, yes
1: yeah yeah i have another question it's a terrible question
2: it's fine you
1: can slap me
2: you're lucky i can't reach you and <laughs> now i'm just kidding i'm not but usually... jerry is gonna haunt you <laughs> with lottery no, numbers it's fine know. those are safe for me guys
1: <laughs> we live in utah anyway there's no lottery here okay do you think that the prospect of marrying you stressed him out so much that he had a stroke
2: Absolutely, it is something I think about all the time, and I just beat myself up over like every. Seriously,
1: day. though, or are we joking? Like, did you do you really feel like that was a? Because I was just joking. No. Okay. No, absolutely
2: Good. not. Okay, I just had
1: it's to like freak you out. No, now I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have. This asked is that. my
2: favorite ever. <laughs> I love this day. <laughs> I do too, guys.
1: I just feel like the timing was a little suspicious. That's all I'm right.
2: Saying. <laughs> yeah. On a holiday. Like, how dare you? You know? Yeah, that's pretty yeah. rude. Okay,
1: <laughs> keep going. So take him off of life support. And he just dies.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's it. And so at that time, um, it was kind of a blessing because we were actually renting a house right across the street from my parents. So support system super there and immediate, which was wonderful. Um, and I do feel very thankful for her. I was also going to college at the time and just in the middle of midterms, and um, everyone was just so gracious, but I kind of used that to power through and just really sort of distract myself, because for me, I feel like the mode that I kicked into instinctually was, well, I don't know how long I'm going to have to provide for by myself, so let me get a degree, let me chase some paper, (laughs) you know, but I mean, this is the reality of it now, you know, and so um, I did, though, do some things to help, which was, you know, going to a support group and talking to other people um, live and in the flesh and sharing those experiences, 10 out of 10 would highly recommend that to everybody. I was very hungry for that and was very desperate for that. And that community was helpful. Um, It really, really was. And so, but I think what I didn't expect um, sort of where I'm at now was all of those things in between that would sort of trigger grief or I had no idea that would be triggers. And so um, I think that's why the Instagram community has been so nice because people are very open about sharing those things and you can really say, hey, whoa, me too. Um, And so that's something I've been super grateful for.
1: The idea of meeting with people in person seems so foreign right now.
2: Yeah. So 2014, because that's like what it was.
1: You can do (laughs) that? Or maybe even
2: 2015, yeah. I have a question, Kirsten. So since you were not married, did
0: you have any issues with the hospital because you were not married?
2: So it's, yeah, it's funny you asked that. Um, So he came from a very big family. So it was nice to have everyone there and everybody sort of making decisions because you have to remember I was 24 at the time and this was my first loss. I was, you know, not financially prepared to make any sort of arrangements or decisions. I don't think I was emotionally prepared to really make any sort of decisions. So having them there was such a huge um, safety net for me, really. And so I just kind of followed their lead. But I think everybody really rallied around each other in that sense. I don't think there was any one expectation of, whether it be me, his mom, his adult daughter, like there was no pressure on anybody to be like, you have to figure this out, or you're responsible for this, or you're responsible for that. And even things like when a social worker, and this is why I got into social work too, um, when she came in to essentially have a conversation about him being a donor, She did it in like such a weird and sensitive way that people were like seriously hurt and offended. Um, But it was nice that that wasn't something that I had to tackle by myself. And I know that that can look very different for maybe people who... Were legally married, or I don't know, depending on what their situation, you know, um, was.
1: I want to know what the social worker did that was so awkward.
2: Yeah, tell us. She just, she sort of like, you know, came in, and and mind you, there's like a shit ton of us. I, I don't know if I can say that, but there was there was a shit ton of us in this room because, like I said, yeah, I was like a million siblings. He had an adult daughter, you know, parents there, you know, myself and whatever. And so she comes in. Oh, you know, sorry for your loss, kind of whatever sort of scripted thing they have to say. And it was just sort of like, okay, so, and we hadn't actually made the official decision to take him off yet, I don't think. So the timing was weird. It was just sort of like, okay, so he's a donor. What do you guys want to do? Do you want to do this or this or this? And we're like, ew, lady, like, hold up. Like, you haven't asked what any plans were, right? You know, because of their, say, culture, faith, religion, you know, whatever things that you have to take into consideration. Um, Maybe they don't want him cremated. Maybe they want this. Maybe they want that, you know? And so I don't know, there was just different things to be considered. So it was so blunt and forced and it was, it was just wrong, (laughs) like legitimately really wrong. Um, But yeah, so, so I do recall that and not being married. I, one of the biggest things that I remember was going with his mom and sister to the mortuary and we're talking about the obituary and I'm like, what do I call myself? Like, what am I? Because I feel like there is such a weight behind the word wife. And in a weird way, I felt like I'm not deserving of this word. How dare I? I can't call myself a wife. Right. Um, And I wasn't going to say baby mama because (laughs) (laughs) like we were still together. We were actively seeking to get married. You know what I mean? So we were obviously much more than that. And that was one thing that I was shocked by. I'm like, How come I'm so uncomfortable saying wife? Because I'll tell you when I go into like the Instagram community, there's no, you're this and you're that, and you're in this category or you're in that category. It's literally a sisterhood, a tribe, it's widowhood, whatever they don't say, but you weren't married. Like there's no question about it. Um, and whether it's been two years or 200 years, (laughs) you know what I mean? Everybody is just welcome. And that's something, um, that I've just really loved about, you know, that presence, so that is one thing I will say, and just I have to tell you guys the story because I know you're going to like probably drop your jaws at this. But so, you know, after all is said and done and I'm like pursuing a master's degree in social work, just really thinking of, you know, kind of getting involved with grief and loss and, and all of those things. Um, you know, you always have those projects of sort of like, tell us about your family and this and that. And so, you know, of course, multiple times I would do like, and then here's my dead boyfriend. And, you know, like I would do PowerPoints and cry in front of people, you know, very early on. But, um, <laughs> but it was therapeutic for me too. I'm not going to like hide that piece of my life, obviously. But I remember a, a very just distinct conversation that kind of pushed me to where I am today. So I'm working on my master's degree in social work and I'm having a conversation with a girl in my cohort We're social workers, you think kindness and empathy and understanding and, and all these things. And she was like, oh, so how did your partner die? And, you know, or we're just kind of talking and she goes, how long were you guys together? And I said, three years. And her literal words to me were, you guys didn't even know each other. Like, swear, swear to you. Like a potential social worker told me that I didn't know the person that I was about to marry or have a child with or live with or grieve over. And I was like, I have to continue to pursue this path so that I can help others who are dealing with people like you, you know what I mean? I was just like, no. And so that honestly, guys, has probably been one of those big like catalyst moments, I will say, um, along this journey. Operation cleanup. Yeah, like clean house, like literally, literally. You're like, so. let me just fix all these terrible things that you have probably
1: <laughs> traumatized people with. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe that person, maybe the person in your cohort was mentored by the lady in the hospital.
2: Could be. It yeah. could be. I could it see like it, you guys. It was bad
1: social work pipeline.
2: <laughs> it really was. It really was.
1: I just want to know we've heard other people in similar situations where the family members didn't really treat you like you were a lifetime part of the family. It sounds like your partner's family members did treat you like that. Was there any, did you sense any like weirdness? Like, do you think, and here's another question that we have also had people say, do you think that having a child with him solidified that connection?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, In the beginning i will say so we're all just trying to figure this out right you know um you're doing what you have to do and just making arrangements and figuring out the logistics of everything and i will say we did hit a hiccup in the beginning over items and things of that nature you know not not really going into detail too much i guess but realizing that certain things were in my name and they didn't know they were in my name and things like that. However, after a few months, we were really able to talk things out and just say, Hey, like these physical items reminded me of him. And I felt like I needed everything that was his. And this was a comment from his mom. Right. And so I think we have to almost be like, we can't do it at the time, but looking back, being a little bit gracious with people, because I felt at that age, this is my loss. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. But Hey, like a mom lost her son and a daughter lost her dad and a sister lost their brother. Right. And so, but those were things that my grief brain couldn't really comprehend at that time. You know, um I will say that yes sharing a child together I feel like really solidified that relationship because 7 years later they still come over for his birthday and bring him gifts and they still invite us over to Christmas Eve and you know but we are in a small community right and so we're it's a little bit easier for us to maybe run into each other and keep in touch and be more intentional about a relationship so that has helped I would say
1: Do you think and maybe this isn't a fair question do you think that if you didn't have a child together that it would have been a different scenario? Do you think that they would have given you that amount of deference or respect? And do you think that you would still have a relationship with them? I don't know if you can even, you know, pretend No, to know for that, sure.
2: But... No, I think just because of the people that they are, I think um, they would have still been super, like, loving and gracious to me at the time, right? Like, I don't think there would have really been any, like, stress or, or disrespect or anything like that. But I think that maybe the the lifelong relationship that we've had since then obviously wouldn't be maybe as close or tight knit and things like that. So I can definitely see for a lot of people, if there isn't a child involved, you know, maybe a bigger chance for that sort of, you know, secondary loss of extended family members, like, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah. It just makes me feel for people who are maybe in that situation also who, if they don't have kids, they feel like there is no link and there is, absolutely, you know, that might be even more painful.
0: I think people feel a responsibility too for the dead person's child because it is part of them and, you know, I'm sure it's pretty complex, but yeah. And then being the mother of the child, you're going to be roped into that anyway and connected. But yeah, I mean, like I said before, I don't have any kids and so one of my first thoughts was, do I even count because I don't have a child? And we're from Utah where there's everybody has tons of kids or lots of people have lots of kids. And so in in some ways there are situations where you are not considered as important in a way as people that do have kids. So it's kind of, it's tricky. So I'm glad that you had a good relationship with them. And do you think um, his because you said you guys are 20 years apart, do you think that his his family being a little bit older than, let's say you were dating a 25-year-old, do you think that that had a lot to do with how nicely they were treating you and how respectful because they had a little bit more time
2: in well, uh, in their life? Yeah. And it's funny that you say that too, because I remember very early on when we started dating, Um, One of his sisters in particular was like, what are you thinking? Like, she's a kid, you know what I mean? She's a kid because she was even older than him. You know, he's one of like seven or eight. He has like a million siblings and I'm an only child. So that's kind of (laughs) just fun too. But, um, you know, what are you thinking? She's a kid and, and whatever, whatever. But as he kind of endured some, you know, various hardships and things, they had seen, oh, wow, like she's really in this. This is what she wants. You know, she's here for him. And they sort of, I guess, you know, saw my character. But it's so funny that you asked that age question, because so when we first got together, one of his sisters went to his mom and was like, hey, you know, there's this age difference, whatever, whatever. And she was like, so like, who cares, you know, because I guess her. um, So, you know, she's been married more than once. His mom has. So Jerry's dad was significantly older than her. And then her current husband is significantly significantly younger than her. So it's yeah. So just it doesn't she doesn't give a crud about any of that, you know? And so she has just legitimately like really embraced me through through everything, which I've been super grateful for. Super grateful for, definitely.
0: She also sounds like fun because she's so chill
2: about things. Yeah. Let's hang out. Yes, like older booze, (laughs) younger booze, like whatever. (laughs) That is so
0: funny. I love it. Will you tell us a little bit about what your healing journey has looked like since all this has happened?
2: For sure. Um, So like I mentioned to you guys, you know, the early days, I kind of just did those practical things of going to support groups and stuff like that. Um, So anybody who's listening to this that's in the early days, I would definitely say do what you can to Get in community. I know physical community right now is a little more difficult, obviously, with COVID, um, but there are a ton of online sort of Zoom support groups and stuff like that. So I would definitely say have those real relationships, you know, obviously, as much as you can. Um, but after that is when it gets really hard, you guys, because in the beginning, and maybe you guys had these similar experiences people are sort of, you know, doting on you and they're bringing you food and they're bringing you gifts and they're doing all of those things, which are great. But then they go back to their real life. You know, they go back to their husbands or their kids or their jobs or whatever it is. And we have a new normal. And it's like, hey, like, what about me? (laughs) You know, I'm out here and this is my new normal and I'm still struggling and and floating and things like that, you know? Um, So the one thing that I would say is just be super gentle with yourself. And that's one thing I've had to do is that, you know, I had mentioned earlier, there were things that triggered me that I didn't know were going to be triggers. So sometimes when we hear grief triggers, I think we think of obvious things like, you know, a song comes on the radio or there's a movie. Um, You guys know that movie, P.S. I Love You. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but the dead husband's name in it is Jerry. And I'm like, ah! And so people will be like, turn it off, turn it off, you know? (laughs) But so you kind of have, you know, those obvious triggers, holidays, whatever that looks like. But for me... Um, One that comes to mind was like my son learning how to ride his bike. And I remember him being like super frustrated, falling off and all this stuff. And I just remember crying and feeling like, why do I have to deal with this frustration by myself? How dare you? You know what I mean? This is such a monumental moment that should be great. And then now he's frustrated and I'm frustrated and I'm pissed off that I'm dealing with this by myself, you know? And so, I think part of that healing journey has just been having that awareness of things will come up that you never thought would come up. And that is okay. That is so normal. Um, There's really no how to with grief. There really, really isn't. And I wish there was, and if anyone's trying to tell you there is like, there's, they're just a liar. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's no step one through 10 and, and you're healed, right? It is legitimately a lifelong process. And, you know, at the space I'm in now, I'm sure that 10 years from now, there will be new grief triggers that I haven't even thought of or had an awareness to yet. You know, when I get into new relationships, if I ever do say, get married and be like, oh my gosh, you know, should this marriage have been for this person or that, or, you know, there's going to be a million things that come with it. I'm sure when I'm an empty nester, I'm going to have feelings of that first experience with grief, re-trigger Then, so. I think just have, like, having that mental space for yourself, you know, to just really feel what you need to feel in, in a safe way.
1: Okay. You just brought up something in that topic that I want to ask you about. Yeah. Do you know what it is, Mel? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if she's right.
2: Should I be um, scared? Oh my God.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. But um, you mentioned getting married again. Have you dated again? And tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I would hope I would have dated again since it's been seven years, guys. Like,
1: <laughs> I know? don't know.
2: No, you know what I mean? But no, I will say, you know, so the first two years or so, I was very much in that mentality of like, I could never, I could never, I'm going to sleep by your headstone every day of my life. Like, <laughs> you know, you get in your feels and you think that you think I'm going to be such this dedicated <laughs> widow. I don't know. You know, you think would those- moss grow on you? Uh, maybe and I wouldn't mind it but no you know so that was kind of the mindset I was in early on and so I would say you know dating has definitely been um, a journey I guess I guess in regards to widowhood maybe some of the things that I've seen stand out I think in the beginning I was a little naive to think that well because I experienced this whoever I date is going to be like So nice and good to me and kind, and they're not going to hurt me. Right. And that was such a misconception. People will still be people. Let's just say that. Right. You know, so you will definitely still have heartbreaks. Right. It's not a get out of heartbreak free card because I'm a widow and I've experienced something. And I think that was like really something that I needed to experience. That was like, yeah, a big, big wake up call. But one of the positives I will say about digging after widowhood is. You've been through the worst and you can seriously take your time and craft a life that you want. You really can. And you can say, hey, like I have this, you know, this new canvas in front of me. And what kind of picture do I want to paint that's going to honor me, that's going to honor them, that's going to honor the people that I love? You know, what do I want that to look like? obviously is, you know, we all know, yeah, that can get shaken up and tons of unexpected things can happen that we never thought would happen. But I feel like we go out into dating so much more intentional than maybe we did before. Like, absolutely.
1: Okay. Worst first date after widowhood.
2: Oh my gosh. After widowhood. Ooh. I don't know that I've had a terrible one after widowhood. And and the reason I will say that is just because I had such like a mind shift, I guess, perspective that I really tried to weed out a lot of like the idiots that I probably dated before Jerry. You know what I mean? So before Jerry, tons of shitty days, you know? Uh, You know, one in one in particular where someone like wanted to steal the glassware from the restaurant and was trying to like put it in my purse under the table because they were like obsessed with like nice like glassware and they wanted me to like legit steal <laughs> cups from the restaurant. I'm not lying and I wish I was and it's such an embarrassing story. Um, so I will say, though, that after widowhood, definitely not really shitty first dates for sure. Um, I can definitely say I've had my heart broken after widowhood. Absolutely. Um, which, you know, which is surprising, I guess, in some ways, because you think, but I've been through the worst thing. No, like we're still human and we still have needs and we still want love and connection. And when those things don't work out, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna grieve that relationship too. Um, but yeah, no, no terrible first dates i'm disappointed
1: but i am i i did approve of the other the glass stealing that was a good story i mean i don't approve of the stealing of the glasses but i approved of the story (laughs)
0: yeah we like all those wacky stories
1: when you did break up with boyfriends or whatever you want to call them did it bring back feelings of grief for jerry did it kind of send you back into that position of grieving and you re-grieved some of those feelings of loss
2: Yeah. I mean, a little bit of that, but I think it was more so the grief that I felt is like, when will I ever get what I deserve or want or need? You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't get Jerry. I lost him. Right. And so I think that sometimes those heartbreaks can feel even heavier too, because you're like, But I thought that this was finally like my. I thought it was my turn. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Like all Meredith Gray, like pick me, choose me, love me. Like, you know, you, you know, those are experiences that I had. And, And so that I think was the reminiscence of grief that I felt in those situations for sure.
0: Did you run into any issues with people that you dated that didn't respect that you were a widow or didn't get it at all?
2: Um, maybe not, I guess like outright. I mean, I always appreciated people who I dated who were okay with, um, asking questions about him or, you know, what happened and just sort of really paid attention to like my loss and my son and things like that. But I will say that, you know, people who haven't really been through grief, they're kind of just, they don't know what to ask and they're kind of scared to bring things up. Right. And so they think, well, I don't want to talk about this or re-trigger them or make them sad or whatever. So I think a lot of times if people don't necessarily bring it up, I mean, I just kind of give them, give them grace in that, you know what I mean? But I do know that I guess just for future relationships, I personally couldn't be in a relationship where it was expected to say, you know, not have any pictures around of you know, that person or to mention them or to spend time with their family and things like that, you know, Um, because it is important to definitely, and especially with children, keep that tie for them, you know? So even now um, I have say like a picture of me and Jerry, like on my fridge, but that's more so just so Josh can, my son can kind of have, you know, those memories and keep that mental image. Right. Um, And, and have that, Oh yeah, this is my dad. Um, And so, I will say partners I I've had have never, you know, seen that picture on my fridge and be like, take that down. You're my woman. You know what I mean? Um, good. Cause if, yeah, if I would have had that type of experience, that would have been sort of an immediate, like, no, like you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peace yeah.
0: Out.
2: yeah. Yeah. So
0: you're a social worker now. Yeah. How have you used your grief experience to help others in that
2: capacity? Yeah. And so, Professionally, because I work in foster care and adoption, um, that's sort of its own realm. But one of the things that I do in my job is I write home studies for people. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with what those are, Um, but essentially, for somebody who wants to be a foster parent, I write like a 20 page paper about your life. And so, one of the things that we do in that is we do talk about losses and, you know, traumas and things of that nature. So, I think having the experience I've had, I'm able to like hold space for people a little bit better when they're sort of recounting those things. Um, But selfishly, for me, that's where unofficially widowed came along a year ago, you know, just because I don't necessarily do that in my job all the time. I needed that space just to talk about grief and loss, particularly um, related to widowhood, unofficial widowhood, parenting, you know, single parenting, dating, all of those things. So that sort of the realm that I'm really trying to grow in now.
1: Speaking of growing, can you look back? I mean, you've got a little bit more time under your belt than Mel and I have. Can you look back and see how much you've grown because of this experience? Can you do you have enough space to be able to say like, this actually made me a better person? Or was a positive in my life? Maybe not that.
2: A hundred percent. No, no, but a hundred percent. And I know it feels cringy to say, right, to say like, yeah, like there have been so many blessings and I'm grateful for this. And it feels cringy and it feels like an asshole to say that. Like, I get it, you know, and and because when you're in day one, um, you don't ever think that you'll get to that place. You really don't. But I think just aside from being 24 at the time to being 31 now, I think it's made me a, bet, a better 31 year old then had I not, you know what I mean? Like, then had I not been through that, I probably would have been, who knows, someone I'm not very proud of, you know what I mean? But um, going through loss and widowhood and, you know, being a parent and all of those things, um, I'm very happy about the person that I become. And like I said, when you've had a loss, you just, you don't dwell over the stupid things that we typically tend to dwell over. We don't put a lot of pressure on the things that don't need pressure on them um and you know it's just it's just a different way of life i guess you know and i think a lot of widows have that same sort of experience where like this is nothing <laughs> you know what i mean compared to the things that that i've dealt with you know um so yeah very much a growing experience and because i had to obviously go in survival mode to you know provide for a human um it pushed me in a lot of ways that i wouldn't have had to be pushed otherwise so that's been there's just been so many positives there really really have
1: it sucks that jerry had to you know take one for the team i guess for me to be
2: such a cool person i know but i'm like thanks thanks you know
1: (laughs) i feel like that all the time i'm like thanks jason for right dying Dying?
2: like yeah so i can
0: grow maybe (laughs) couldn't there have been a different way
1: i guess not I guess not. We could have. There could have been like an E an e course, an online course to get this same knowledge. <laughs> no, a master class. No. Okay. Fine. Right. right. It's so much.
2: It is. It, I mean, it really is. It's so layered and it's so complex. And I think that that's why it's important to get in community with people who get it and who have been through it. And I mean, you know, even say with the three of us, for example, there's so many similarities and so many differences too. You know, and so. When But when you have people who have been through those experiences, you need those people who can take a big sigh with you know, and be like, yeah, it's heavy and it's deep and it's weird, but I get it. And the parts I don't get, I'll hold space for, you know what I mean? And that is so important to have. It really is.
1: That sounds like such a social worker thing to say, like a, such a, a it's uh, such
2: a mental health area of the yeah, what are they, counselor, like a, like
1: a, What are those called? Therapist thing to say. Like, I will hold space for you.
0: What kind of response have you gotten from the Instagram community, from people that are that were maybe engaged or dating or all those kinds of things? Do you have a pretty big following or a big community? What's that looked like?
2: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that I necessarily have like a huge following. I have like 750 people, so I'm not like an influencer by any means, but I clearly use the right hashtags if you guys found me, right? Like the suggestions, I came up so creepy, you know? Oh, um, I hate those <laughs> tags. They're so
0: hard to come up with sometimes. Like really?
2: Yeah. yeah, you and You spell I am... them wrong all the time because
1: they don't auto correct. Yeah. So you're like, yeah young young window. 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 <laughs> window young window <laughs> I'm a young yeah. window
2: <laughs> yeah I I mean the response has been good though you know I've de- I definitely have I would say you know, strong group of people who sort of respond regularly and comment regularly and message regularly and things like that with a lot of like yes, like, this is what I've been dying to say. And this is exactly how I feel and, and all of those things. And it feels really good to hear that. I mean, for one, because I'm a words of affirmation person, just straight up, I am. So tell me nice things. And we're good. But good job that feels good. Good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're thank welcome. You. No, but um, but just to know that. But just to know that, you know, that presence, it matters to people. Um, you know, that that has been so nice. So that's definitely something that I look forward to just sort of growing and, and diving deeper into, I would say over the next year, for sure is really continuing with that. It's been a super positive response.
1: What does support look like for you now that you're seven years out? What do you want people to do for you to support you now?
2: I mean, and it's weird, because okay, yeah, it's seven years later. But The same things as day one, just show up when I'm having a moment, like you don't have to know the right thing to say or the right thing to do, but just show up when, Hey, it's a holiday and I'm a little bit in my feelings or if my kid's sick and I'm tackling it by myself, you know, um, you might not understand all the stress behind that, but just show up and and try to help the best way that you can. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate, but it's like the famous quote goes, you know, people will forget what you say and what you did, but they're always going to remember how you made them feel, right? And, and I really do take that. I, I really do take that along with me from day one of grief to now. And I think that, you know, and you guys are maybe a few years out too. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but being seven years out, I always thought like when someone experiences loss, I'm going to be able to jump right in and be there for them and comfort them. And I'm going to know all the things to say and do, And I still suck at it, even though I've had my own experience, right? And so I think sometimes not taking things too personally, people don't know how to show up because we've been through it and we still suck at it sometimes, you know what I mean? And so really just kind of, you know, giving people grace is so important. And I know that's like a little bit opposite of what you just asked me, but I think it's such an important thing that we as grievers still need to remember, you know, it's not a popular opinion. But it's really important to to remember that. I've thought about that sometimes, too. And I guess
0: I'm still trying to figure out how to put it into words. So if this is not coherent, maybe you guys can help me out. But I thought about that, too. It's like, I think when we are widowed, at least for me, it's like you feel you are the one that is injured so much and needs so much help and people hopefully like flock to help you. But then there are those people that say things that are hurtful and and it's almost like a a relationship like these we're still dealing with relationships with people in our loss like whether it's a friend or somebody in the periphery and and any type of relationship you have to kind of have a little bit of leeway or I guess a little bit of forgiveness and and I know sometimes we're in our anger and we don't want to say well yeah I know they're a human but like they said this and it really made me upset it's like it's it's taught me a lot about just human relationships and I don't know if it goes along the lines of forgiveness or just something where it's like there's no black and white with that either. It's like allowing the people that are not in our position to still be able to make mistakes. And that is not something that anybody wants to hear, especially in the early days of grief.
2: Yeah, and I and I think it's really important to remember that when sort of like the shock wears off for everybody in your space. And we kind of talked about this earlier because – you know, there were plenty of people early on, you know, good friends of mine, like the day it happened, I didn't want them to come over but they didn't care right and they showed up with diapers and clothes and food and blankets and bibles and whatever <laughs> like just all the, they're like here here's a candle like I don't know here's some weird Jesus pictures for your wall yeah you know but they show up with all this stuff and whatever but then when they go back to their own lives this anger really does kick in how dare you how dare you right like I'm still in so much pain and I'm still suffering. How can you function, you know? But I think that, you know, a few years out now, when we come across people who are experiencing loss, you know, I, I'm i sure I've been guilty of maybe showing up in the moment, but then not being there with the follow through. And the follow through is so important as all of us know, right? And so I think just as we grow, being more intentional, being more intentional about the follow through is so important to just making us, all better humans. (laughs) I mean, really, it is. my friend just passed away from COVID at 37. He left behind a
0: widow, an unmarried widow, who's also my friend. And so it's like, when when that happens, it's like, like you said, Okay, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna do this. And the reality for me is, I have to figure out how I can show support. Because I'm still exhausted. Like I can't be the one that goes every single day all day to take out the garbage, even though I my heart wants to, like, I'm still trying to recover. And so it's like, it seems like a unique circumstance with every single situation. And as widows, it's like, yeah, we know that we need help. And we know that there needs to be follow through. We also know that maybe we're not capable of taking that whole thing on. It's hard. Well, sure.
2: Yeah, because, you know, other people's losses can be very triggering to us. They really can be, you know, and so Maybe we don't have the mental or emotional or physical capacity even to be like, okay, well, I'm going to go wash all your dishes and take out, you know, your trash and do your laundry, which those practical things help, but I can have a pizza delivered to your house, but I can, you know what I mean? Send you a text message that says, I'm thinking of you and I love you. You know what I mean? There's still small things that we can do, you know? And so I think it's just really, like I said, just trying to be a little bit more intentional with the follow through. And it's not easy by any means. It's really, really not, you know, and I know just kind of as we're talking about this, that, you know, those feelings come up of like, man, I know where I dropped the ball and there are places where I could pick it up. You know what I mean, too. So just kind of just being mindful of those things all the way around.
1: I love that. I love that being mindful. I I tell people a lot when they're like, so-and-so just died. What do I do? You know, and I'm like, you buckle up for the long game. You know, this yes. is this is yeah. it. what happens right now isn't as important as putting a reminder in your phone for all of their dates, you know, checking in with them in a year, in six months, in two years. You know what I'm saying? It's like we get this energy like I got to fix this right now. And really what we have to do is like prepare to sit back. And, you know, stick with it, which it is hard because we all have our own lives and we all have all of our own things going on. So to hold to hold space. Did I do it right for others? Yes. And,
2: and you said mindful. And I was like, oh, look at you. <laughs> this, like this soulful work clock is rubbing off.
1: <laughs> I'm just a different kind of therapist. Really, I'm I am. I'm a physical incense. therapist, but <laughs> don't ever say that kind of stuff to people. Anyway, I think it's such an important perspective. And yes, Kristen, I'm so happy that I um, messaged you and you actually replied and didn't get scared and run no, away and you came I love and got it. in my van. <laughs> and have you enjoyed the beef jerky that I lured I did. you with? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah.
2: Now, good luck getting me out of your van. Good <laughs> luck.
1: <laughs> the good news is I don't actually have a van. I ha- I have like a car that holds four kids in it, so you can stay fed in the back of my car for at least. 12 days.
2: So Just finding stuff off the floor, you know, yes. crumbs and yeah, mm-hmm.
1: goldfish.
0: <laughs> Speaking of snacks, I have a very important question, and we ask this to all of our guests. So I'm very curious what your response is going to be. What is, assuming you are not lactose intolerant or vegan, what is your favorite cheese?
2: Oh, mozzarella. Like, that's easy, like mozzarella sticks. Like, you know, like, just literally, like that is it. Like, I'm so basic. Call me basic. It's not mindful or holding space, boozy, like I was earlier. <laughs> just, <laughs> literally just mozzarella, so good. So good.
1: thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our interview with unofficially widowed Kirsten. and Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club. Kirsten's going to check it out. She's going to be there. She's going to bring the mozzarella sticks. So come on. Remember to answer all of the questions. Yes. All of them. Or we're not going to let you in. So
0: we can protect you from the Nigerian princes. Yeah. We're getting like
1: two, two a day. They're know. bizarre. At this you know, point, and I
2: feel like I might need one, guy. It's Like, I'm not even going to play. <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> if they were legit. But
2: that's the problem. Actually, somebody
1: just messaged me and was asking about, you know, the, the requirement. And I was like, you know, my response was that we're really protective with our people. But once you provide that documentation, you will also benefit from our protectiveness. So I hope you guys don't mind that we're being really protective because – Once you're in there, then you will also know that we're not letting in just anybody. Yeah. So anyway, check that out. Remember to support us on Patreon if you so desire. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. Give us a rating and review or I will come hunt you down and pull you into my van. It's actually fun. She's still very obsessed.
0: So please, everybody, please help me out by supporting (laughs) Anita and giving us a good rating and review. And... If you would like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com
1: slash widow we do now. And until we talk to you next time,
2: I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Kirsten.
1: And we're just two young widows and another unofficial widow who's holding space for all of you in the van. And we're trying to figure out widow Widow we we do do now. now.
0: this is my favorite thing to discuss with you tell me what is it one of my favorite things i do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs this is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan especially when you're a widow your person is dead you might have kids you might need another option and you just want your phone to work you want unlimited texting and service and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month